Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I recently found out that my neighbour, next door neighbour Dan, has no memory under the age of 10. Could not remember a single thing under the age of 10. I've got a ton of memories, absolutely loads of memories. I can remember the day my brother was born. I was compensated with an action figure. I uh, avoided then uh, uh, and ran away from my granny. In fact, I then made my way home from the hospital uh, where my brother was born. I was three years old. I walked almost a mile and they found me hours later on the front doorstep. Uh, That is one of my earliest memories. I can remember when I was six, I broke uh, the school backward skipping record. Age seven, I caught fleas from a boy at a holiday camp and had to have cold baths for a week. I remember age nine, kissing Stephanie Jones for 15 seconds behind the big fir tree. I remember when I was 10, I set my friend's barn on fire, accidentally on fire, uh, and the fire brigade had to be called. It then set fire to a small wooded area around and um, I was beaten terribly for that. That's another story. Age 11, I was bitten by a dog on a walk, family walk. I've been scared of dogs ever since and hope all dogs would die. Um, That's just written half of you off. If you want to leave, that's okay. Sorry, Colin in particular, who loves dogs. Um, I'm going to sit down now, I think. Uh, Age 13, I cycled from Manchester to my uh, grandparents' house 90 miles away with my 10-year-old brother. Um, And in my back pocket, having... I'd had to work out all the kind of uh, map arrangements, whatever that's called, directions myself. They didn't have sat-nav back in those days. So, and, but alongside all the kind of map directions was a letter that says, if you find me dead, please call my mum and dad, Kelvin and Eva Ward, and then their phone number. That was that, 13. Age 14, I broke my leg on a paper round and was given uh, brandy by the lady that rescued me. Um, uh, Yeah, we've stayed in touch. Uh, Age 15, I ran away from home and I slept in a graveyard. Um, And that is just some of my memories. Absolutely loads. I could tell you more of the madness of my life. And then when we get to Jesus, Jesus, Segway Jesus, big crowbar bringing Jesus. When we look at the history of Christ outside of the kind of... uh, Christmas narrative, the birth narrative of Jesus, we've got very, very, very little. In fact, there is but one story. And I'd expect it to be an amazing story. I'd expect it to be the story where Jesus was in the bath and he parted the water. Or maybe it's the story where he really liked the food that his mum gave him, so he multiplied it for all his friends. Maybe there was that one pet that died and he was like, whoa, back to life. I don't know, you know, what was the one great story? Um, And it's a bit of a random one. You find it in Luke chapter 2. Every year, Mary and Joseph, his mum and dad, would travel the 80 miles from Nazareth into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And when Jesus is 12 years old, his parents take him there as usual. We don't know anything about the celebration. We don't know anything about the sacrifice that was made or the great feasts that happened. Nothing is reported. It goes without a hitch. The family's 
then depart. They begin to make their way back and what would have happened is the women and the children would have gone ahead of the men who then would have stayed on maybe for a day or just a bit of time and then caught up with the women further up the road and they work out after a day that Jesus has gone. He's disappeared. Nowhere to be seen and in fact it takes them three days to then find him and where is he? He's in the temple with the teachers and Mary freaks out. I wish Luke had given us a little bit more detail on the amount of freaking out that went on but I can tell you it would have been a huge. Imagine losing your own child, then multiply it. Imagine losing God's child. (laughs) Where has he gone? You imagine the fear and trembling, I've actually lost the only son of God. And so when she finds him, she said, how could this have happened? How could you do this to us? She didn't whisper that gently. She let Jesus have that, how she was feeling. She is freaking out. And then Jesus, calm and gentle, replies, why is it that you sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And these are the very words that we know Jesus spoke. The very words captured in the scriptures are this. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And I love it. I love that those are the words that are captured. Jesus knows who his father is. It's not been kept from him. I wonder what the process was like, how he came to know, or maybe he's always known. From his very first memory, he knew who his true father is. Or did Joseph have to tell Jesus, take him aside, maybe while they're at the park, lad, I've got something to tell you. I'm not actually your dad. You're adopted. And your birth dad is the creator of the universe. Imagine what that would be like. I am like Joseph. I am an adoptive dad. And when you adopt children, you're told by social services from a very early age, begin to talk to your kids about their adoption. Begin to share with them a bit a bit about their life and how they came to be. Tell them what you can. Do it in an age-appropriate way, wherever you possibly can. And so we start off by talking about Tommy mummies and then the older they get, the more we begin to tell them about their story. Sometimes our kids will um, ask us the most difficult questions just as you pull up to a supermarket and they want to suddenly know the finer details of why they ended up in the care system. Sometimes you want to tell them something really important so you sit them down and all your kids want to talk about is socks and jelly and you're like not now because we need to tell you something. I tried to tell Alfie that he's got two birth brothers and he was like burping in my face. He did not care at all. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew who his father was. More importantly, he knew what his father was like. One of my worst fears is that my children will one day go in search of their birth parents. 
one day I might have to go and find them thinking that maybe they've gone in search themselves and maybe they, in my fear, they won't want to return home with me because they fall in love with the birth family that they have no memory of whatsoever. But Jesus doesn't have a chaotic birth father. Jesus was not abandoned by his dad. His dad is the king of kings. His dad is called the Lord of lords, the creator of all things, the one with a rescue plan, the one that we just sang about that says, but you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. We sang about him being slow to anger and rich in love, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is from the Psalms. And I wonder if Jesus grew up knowing something that no other kid knew, that the one that they sang about in the temple, the one that they read about in the scriptures was his dad. Jesus from the age of 12 knew who his father was. And that's really important. See, when we come to the age of 12, why is it that's the one story that we read about in the scriptures? Because coming, uh, when you become 12, you come of age. Age 12 is when you turn from being a boy to being a man. Age 12 is when you begin to get responsibility and accountability. But most importantly, age 12, this is the age when boys become legal partners in their father's business. It's at this point and from this point on that they are considered equal with their dads. That's really important. Jesus is coming of age and becoming partners in his father's business. And that's why he says, do do you not know? I must be here in my father's house doing my father's business. And what is the business of the father? The business of the father is life, it's redemption, it's salvation, it's rescue, it's freedom. And Jesus says, I've got to be about my father's business. And what has this got to do with John chapter 5? Everything. Everything. In John chapter 5, last week, if you'll have been here, you'll have heard about a man healed at the pool of Bethesda. I think it's Abby that preached that a miraculous healing of a disabled guy whom Jesus simply says, pick, uh, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man is cured. He picked up his mat and he began to walk. And it's because this has happened on the Sabbath day that the religious leaders who are looking on begin to freak out. They're not happy because Jesus in this moment is guilty of breaking the rules of the Sabbath and also encouraging, dare he do it, encouraging others to break the rules of the Sabbath. It's like a double whammy. Healing was seen as working, picking up your mat and carrying a mat. Never do that. That's working too. Verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. They are so fuming. They want him dead. It's shocking, but it's nowhere near as shocking as that which Jesus says next. Verse 17 of John chapter 5. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father, my father, is always at work to this very day and I'm 
I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. First, he breaks the Sabbath rules. Now he's become a blasphemer. But what we learn is absolutely awesome. Jesus claims that God is his dad. And he says, my dad is working. See, we know where the rules of the Sabbath come from, right? We know that there was those six days of creation when God was at work making what we know around us. But when the six days are done, God's work is done and he rests. Day seven was the Sabbath day. But did God continue to work? What happened on day eight? Does he start the cycle again? Does he get back on with work or is he like, I'm done. Feet up, the rest is eternity. I just leave it to his own devices. Was all the work complete? Was it just time to rest? No, it wasn't time to rest. I believe and we believe that God got back to work. But what was he doing? And that's where we have to consider what happened on day eight. On day eight, sin enters the world. The rest of God is broken by this couple we know as Adam and Eve. And they had this problem with an apple. You remember that one? When sin enters the world, they begin to follow their own will, not the will of the Father. In that process, setting a new course for human history. But it's since then that God has been working, giving, sustaining and restoring life. Outworking a plan that we know as redemption. He is the author of salvation, rescue and freedom. My Father is always at work to this very day he never took a day off since and he is working and so Christ says I am working too I can't stop for a Sabbath because me and my dad are in business together me and my dad work together it's like the dream team I just love working with my dad Jesus loves working with his dad my dad's working and so I'm working they're in the family business together, giving life, redeeming, and that work never stops and never rests. What reassurance for us that the salvation plans, the redemptive work of God never ceases. It is without end. The religious leaders understand what Jesus is saying and they are appalled. They're so angry. They're angry at his miracles. Now they're like, you imagine like tops are blowing. Brains are popping all over the show. To call God his father. It's like saying he thinks, this guy thinks he's equal with the creator of all things. And the fact that Jesus says he's working with him just makes it even more scandalous. Jesus is saying, I am God. Other religions will criticise our texts. They'll go through the New Testament and you'll hear people say, you'll find nowhere that Jesus declares he's God. This 
is the place we turn. If you want to find a text, turn to John chapter 5. This is Jesus saying, I am God. Me and my dad are equal. He's declaring he's part of the Trinity. Jesus gave them the answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Scandalous. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Scandalous. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these so that you will pop your brain and be amazed. Scandalous. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it to. The son has life and he wants to give it to whoever he is pleased to give it to. Scandalous, scandalous and yet glorious. Some of the most incredible words ever spoken people love the sermon on the mount that you're doing in the mornings here i think these words are even more incredible the richest scripture ever recorded the son can do nothing by himself he can only do what he sees the father doing like father like son Know the son, know the father, dad and lad in business together. God the father is working out his salvation plans and the son is on board and he's having a go too. They're on the tools. They're on the tools together. Verse 21, for just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it to. God the son is working with him. The Father is healing on the Sabbath, and so the Son is healing on the Sabbath. The Father is restoring life, and so the Son restores life. The Father raises people from the dead, and the Son is going to do it too. Life-giving is the family business of God. And God the Father and God the Son are pleased to do it. I just love that about them. They love their job. They love their business. Their business is life-giving them, and they just can't wait to do it. They do not hold back. They do not hate. They love to give life for the Father loves the Son. This is verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. I just wonder if this is what happened up on the mountaintop. When Jesus would sort of go away to be with his dad, I wonder if his dad went, I've just got to show you what I've been doing today. I've just got to show you what I've been up to. Let me just remind you of my salvation plans. Come on, lad, let's go again. Go back down the hill and do some more. No competition between those guys. They are working together. They are equal. Yes, And he will show him even greater works than these so that you'll be amazed. Greater miracles to follow. They've just seen a guy that can't walk, a paralyzed guy, healed, taking home his mat. And Jesus is like, you've seen nothing yet. Wait till you see what's to come. The dead will be raised. The spiritually dead and the physically dead. And the ultimate gift of life is coming. The death of the son And his resurrection from the death will ultimately mean life for all who believe. 
He's gonna, he's like the greatest miracle is still to come. I can't even, oh, I can't even tell you. They're gonna try and take me out. But death can't hold me because I am the Lord of life. And life is the business of this family and it will be poured out. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son. That all may honour the son just as they honour the father. Whoever does not honour the son does not honour the father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life very truly I tell you a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live for as the father has life in himself so he has granted the son also to have life in his himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man do you see all the affirmation there that God is this but he's given the son this God is life but he's given life to the son the father has entrusted judgment judgment to the son now what's that all about see the son who took on flesh and knows life like us is the one who will decide who gets life beyond this life the one who was sent as the rescue plan living like us dying for us rising from the dead in order to defeat death the great giver of life gets to judge who, between those who receive the work of the family receive the life from God and those who've rejected the work of the father and the son those who've received life and those who have rejected life, Jesus, the giver of life, gets to choose between the living and the dead. But the promise to all who hear and believe is that whoever hears my words, Jesus says, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. When we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, when we believe that He and the Father are working things out together, when we believe that He is the gift of life and that life is found in Him, when we receive life and only life through Him, will we have eternal life, life forevermore. And so the question I leave you with tonight is, do you believe that Jesus is the Son, the Son of the Father? Do you believe it? Not just with your head, but with your heart. Do you know with all of your being that Jesus is the Son of the Father? And do you believe that he's working? Do you believe that he's the giver of life and that his intention is to bring fullness of life, salvation, freedom and restoration? Do you know true life? Do you know fullness of life that only comes through Christ? I read verse 17 to my missus earlier today because I was kind of having this moment when I was just like, wow. When it says this, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. I was just having this moment. I was like, Nick, listen to this. Listen to this. I said, isn't God awesome that he's never stopped working 
And she said, no, surely he still has the Sabbath off. Surely he doesn't work weekends. I'm like, are you mad? Because the business of God is to save us. And in his grace and in his mercy, he can't take a day off because he wants no one to miss out. No one for a minute, not even for a second. He cannot take his eyes off the game. He's so rich in mercy, abounding in love. And I want you to know his work tonight. And I want you to know that he's at work in you tonight. Jesus is here by his spirit working in us his salvation plans. Paul writes it to the Philippian church, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. I hold to that truth that Jesus today is working out salvation in me and I'm prone to failure and I'm getting things wrong all the time and sometimes it looks like I'm ignoring the work of God but today Lord God turn our attention again to your incredible work of grace. Lord, through the power of your spirit, would you again remind us of your goodness, your faithfulness to the task. Lord, again today, wake us up to the family business of life and fullness of life that's found in you. I don't know how you're feeling today. I don't know if you feel a bit dead on your feet. I don't know if you feel dead tired. Maybe you feel dead fed up with the world. I feel dead fed up with the world, you know. Oh, I can't, I'm so, anyway, maybe you're dead miserable. Maybe you're dead in your sin. I want to welcome the work of God again today. I want to turn our attention again and say, Lord, God, Christ Jesus, be at work in us. just reminded of that passage from Ephesians 3 the prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian church where he says and I pray that you be strengthened in your innermost being that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith 